Koto. Hi, everybody. How's it going? My name's Sam. Sam, I am. Steve gave me that joke, and I was heartbroken that I hadn't come up with it myself. Thank you, Steve, for giving me the funniest joke of my sermon. Yes, we're going to talk about the Good Shepherd this morning. It is good to be here in the fridge in a t-shirt. Here we go. Um, All right. Um, So, if you have been uh, near a screen in the past few years, um, you would have seen uh, a lot of media lately involving multiverses, right? Um, The Marvel Cinematic Universe has been ringing the concept uh, ever since they went all timey-wimey a few years ago. Um, So other media has followed suit. We've had uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, We've been into and across the Spider-Verse so far. Uh, We've just had the Flash jump into other universes to resurrect Michael Keaton in a back suit. Uh, We've had Rick and Morty that have left a trail of uh, nihilistic destruction across a whole bunch of different realities. A different Spider-Man has broken the multiverse and we've just had uh, Michelle Yeoh show us everything everywhere all at once. This really is the time of the multiverse. And if you're unsure about what the multiverse is, it's this idea that if something could have happened, then it actually exists in another reality somewhere in another dimension. So the multiverse kind of is a catch-all for that kind of thinking. Uh, And all of these stories, uh, they present us with slightly different realities, uh, born from different circumstances and decisions, Uh, coming into contact with the what if, um, whether it be different career choices, Uh, different romantic options, uh, or realities made up entirely of hands, or other realities in which hands are made up of hot dogs, um, we get to explore the deeply existential uh, to the deeply absurd and ridiculous. Uh, We even got to see all the live-action Spidey boys together on screen at the same time, which is pretty cool. And although I'm getting tired of... um, the multiverse as a way to just, like, spice up a story or to raise the stakes... I have been wondering to myself, why do we seem right now so obsessed with the theory of the multiverse, or why, why do we keep getting sold these stories? Um, so one, one theory could be that it's just a reflection of our age, uh, in which a very, in a very, very real sense, uh, we get to peer into other people's lives and view uh, other realities, not our own, just the sort of multiverse in itself. Another theory could be, we can say that we probably still have no idea uh, of what the internet age has done to us, and we're definitely processing what still feels like uh, new infinities of content, um, sort of like new information and new experiences, so that's another idea. Or you could just take a a really cynical view and say that it's just media conglomerates who have run out of ideas and just want to generate endless content from their IP to exploit our nostalgia, and there's certainly truth in that too. But I think in some ways it's uh, actually helping to express um, an anxiety of our age, the pressure to self-author, to make something of ourselves, um, to make our lives meaningful and valuable. We're sort of wondering, have we done that right? And these stories follow characters as they come into contact with these other possible realities that they could have had. Sociologist uh, Ulrich Beck says, the choosing, deciding, shaping human being who aspires to be the author of his or her own life, the creator of an individual identity, is the central character of our time. The shaping human being who aspires to be the author of his or her own life. That's kind of what it means to be human right now. We are in charge of writing our own stories, which means it's all down to us. 
uh, Joseph Campbell, uh, the man behind the hero's journey theory, uh, agrees. He says, life has no meaning. Each of us has meaning and we bring it to life. It's a waste to be asking the question when you are the answer. So the pressure is on. We as a culture have thrown off the big stories that we used to find ourselves in that for so long told us who we were to be able to write the stories we want for ourselves. And something that is sold to us as freedom is actually a lot of the time a burden. Uh, and this, this sense of having to author my own life and having to make something of myself and the burden of that has been picked up by lots of people, particularly over the last century, um, French writer Jean-Paul Sartre says it darkly something like this. Um, I am the one who pulls myself from the nothingness to which I aspire. Um, I think he was actually trying to be funny, but I think it's quite, quite telling, isn't it? There's like, we, we have no meaning, but I'm the one who's got to pull myself up from nothing to become something, which also is nothing. I don't really know what he's getting at, but I don't really understand French existentialists in general, so that's okay. Uh, theologian Paul Tillich will call it a liberation and a loss. Yes, you are free to make a life for yourself, but it's a loss because now you don't know what that has to be. You're kind of making that up as you go. And so much freedom um, that we have has become a crushing weight for us, and especially amongst our young people. And ironically, we didn't choose to have all these choices. Um, it's existential choice anxiety, and it's a weight. So I think multiverses are an extremely helpful metaphor uh, to help us explore this weight. What does it mean to make the right decisions? Should I have said yes to her? Should I have said no to him? Should we have moved here? Did I just traumatize my child? Did I just traumatize someone else's child? <laughs> Possibly. Um, did I just send them on an evil path of uh, destruction when I denied them that slice from the after-surface um, table? Who knows? Is there a reality in which the Blues actually win a Super Rugby title and the Crusaders suck? I hope so. Or is there a reality in which I actually became a rock star and filled, fulfilled my grand purpose? Um, what is a good life? Am I on the right path? Am I on my best path? Or are we currently all living in the darkest timeline? And as I, this morning, as I caught the sleeve of my dressing gown on my microwave and threw scrambled eggs all over my curtain, I thought, I am living in my darkest timeline right now. <laughs> That's a true story. I'm currently anxious that it's baking in the sun, so we'll see you when we get home if I have actual cooked scrambled eggs to eat. So, <clears throat> it's the tension between Life is what you make it, and life is what you make it, so you better do it properly. So we can make decisions, and we have agency, but I think part of being human is also learning to be shepherded by God. And although this can feel a little bit condescending to the 21st century self-authoring ear, it's actually a really great thing. So let's go back to the Bible. Uh, in John 10, as we've just heard, Jesus is referring to himself as the good shepherd. And this isn't a random metaphor. Um, the word shepherd has a lot of history in the Old Testament scriptures. It actually first turns up in Genesis uh, when Jacob, uh, the father of Israel, um, 
on his deathbed refers to God in quite a lovely, touching way as he who has been my shepherd from my birth to this day. So that's the first time it shows up. But then the metaphor gets picked up a number of times uh, with obviously the most famous psalm sitting around it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And God is depicted as the one that gives his people rest, finally, who protects them, who provides for them and leads them. And Ezekiel 34 uh, is probably one of the most tender passages of the Old Testament after uh, harshly criticizing the leaders uh, who have abused and scattered and neglected the people, um, God says that he himself will be their shepherd, saying, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them. I will pasture them. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. It's beautiful stuff. So when Jesus starts using this language, it's a callback. It's super familiar to all the hearers. Uh, So in that case, it's hugely profound. When Jesus says that he's the good shepherd, he's stepping into the role of God, of, of Yahweh. In Mark, he even seemingly enacts uh, Psalm 23. He brings the people into a wide, grassy area, comforting the distressed crowd and then feeding them. Um, So he's taking on the mantle of this promise. So that's that's a big deal. Um, He's saying all the words that were written about God have now found their target in him. He is the good shepherd. He has turned up, God has turned up with skin on. So I think what you see in Jesus is the compassion of God looking at the human condition and seeing the ways that powers and influences exert their powers on us, often leaving us bewildered, and he actively steps in. And I wanna be upfront, <laughs> this feels uh, like a tough community to communicate this to. This is, a, this is a community filled with people that know how to lead. And so to call you people sheep uh, feels a little bit wrong. It's all often an insult, isn't it? You know, the sheeple. Um, sheep, sheep basically don't know how to uh, make it on their own. Um, they lack the instincts to survive in the wild in any context. Um, they don't know how to evade predators. Uh, and they don't really have any aggression to fight, which means if someone attacks them, that's it. They need help. They're helpless. They're not very smart. It's not a flattering image. And just to like paint this picture for you clearly, I found this video that went viral a couple of years ago of a sheep that someone did try to help. So hit it. There he is, being pulled out of the ditch. There he comes. Come on, buddy. He's out. And he's back in again. Yeah, there he is. Sheep are dumb. I've watched that a lot of times. It sort of doesn't get boring. Um, So being called a sheep is not a flattering image. Um, But there's something, I think, in that for us to pay attention to, I think. When it comes to my relationship with God, I can relate to that sheep quite a lot. Um, And I think it's difficult for us in uh, 21st century New Zealand to 
enter into the sheep uh, shepherd relationship of the ancient Near East. Um, in New Zealand, we're identified in part by our outrageous sheep farming capacities. Uh, in fact, earlier this year, the sheep to person ratio in this country sank below five to one ever since records began in the 1850s. So that's a national emergency. But it wasn't a big industrial machine in the first century. Jesus wasn't describing a uh, South Island sheep farmer. To the first hearers of Jesus' words, uh, the shepherd was the guardian, the keeper of the flock, uh, the lookout for predators. Um, they gathered back and nurtured the sheep. Uh, the shepherd's livelihood was tied to them. The relationship was one of dependence. They weren't ranchers. Um, the sheep depended on the shepherds in closely bonded ways. So to really hear what Jesus is saying through this metaphor, we need to understand that what he's saying to us is no matter how impressive the trajectory of our lives are, or how big our spheres of influence are, or how self-sufficient we are, we need him. And he actually has to be our everything. Later in the gospel, actually Jesus says, without me you can do nothing, which again feels like, it feels wrong to our ears. And perhaps we like the sound of it, you know, God cares for us, it's a lovely thing to say, it's nice. But I would hazard a guess uh, that we don't really want a shepherd. Uh, usually we want more like a personal trainer who pumps us up, or uh, we want a therapist that just listens to us and validates our feelings, feelings and says, you're like, poor little schnookums, okay, move on. But we do need a shepherd because we wander, I wander, and we need to be brought back. We often get lost and trapped in the thickets of all sorts of crazy fauna. My worst moments uh, have been when I've taken the reins or convinced myself that I need to rely on myself to get what I want. We get our hearts set on something, leave the care of the shepherd, convince ourselves we don't need him, and run after all sorts of things, and then we're in shock when we get stuck, or wounded, or lost. You're not meant to do it without him. You get to just be a sheep. You don't need to make something of yourself. You aren't called by God to write an impressive autobiography, which actually is a place of rest in a culture that's continuing to asking us to write an oppressive story. Our stories, whether we know it or not, are actually reaching out for him. We want our lives to matter. We wanna be seen and known and loved. And so much of our energy uh, goes into creating that sort of meaning for ourselves. Like you'll, lad you'll matter when you get to the next life stage or you'll get that level of recognition and then you'll matter, or, um, or get given that level of responsibility or receive that amount of attention or acclaim and then you'll matter. But the good shepherd only needs you to be a sheep, to be led. And in many ways, our spiritual work is, is to learn to become a simple sheep, um, already loved, already enough, and already important to the good shepherd who alone dictates what we're worth. But that's not the only thing that's said here. <laughs> and if you were listening properly, you would have heard four times uh, Jesus in this short passage mentions that he will lay his life down for his sheep. 
And this is quite frankly unheard of in first century societies and now. Um, you know, if you get the metaphor right, you know, you understand that he's talking about a certain type of power and ruling. The rulers do not lay their lives down for the people. <laughs> they get to use the people's lives however they see fit. So this use of power was as foreign as it got, and it actually says something about what we need to do with our power and our stories and our lives. This shepherd, our leader, sends a pretty clear message to us with his own life. The truly meaningful life is one that's laid down, which feels like a paradox, but it sounds a little bit something like if you want to find your life, you have to lose it or something like that. The truly meaningful life is one laid down. Michael Gorman, uh, in his book, Cruciformity, um, this is a word that means to be shaped by the cross, says this. To be in Christ is to be a living exegesis or a living working out of the narrative of Christ, a new performance of the original drama of exaltation following humiliation, of humiliation as the voluntary renunciation of rights and selfish gain in order to serve and obey. He then goes on later in the book to say, it is in self-surrender to God and others in love that a person finds self-realization. It's in self-surrender to God and others that we find self-realization, not writing impressive stories. So we don't just get cared for by Jesus, um, but we get called to follow him into the cruciform life. And when we look hard at his life, we see that the truly good life is one that's not defined by an upward uh, trajectory on the back of great life choices. Our lives are already authored by him. And to be truly on the right timeline, if we wanna use that language, we don't need to author. We learn to give up our stories for others to maybe not live as the main character in our own stories, but free to be an NPC or a background character for others. So let's get back to the multiverse. <laughs> I think there's a difference between a good multiverse story and a bad multiverse story. When I saw the three Spider-Men together, if you haven't seen it, sorry, this is a spoiler, you had a lot of time though, so I've got zero sympathy. When I saw these three Spider-Men together, I was the perfect age to remember all of them. Um, I'm gonna sound dumb, but I actually found it a little bit moving. Um, it wasn't just cool, it was like, it touched something in me, um, which is a little bit vulnerable to mention, but it wasn't just cool seeing the old guys get back together. Uh, what was moving about the character of Spider-Man, I feel so dumb saying this, but what's cool about the character of Spider-Man is that he's a character marked by the burden of responsibility of loneliness, he's an orphan, and he's always driven to isolation to protect the ones he loves. And in this version, they get to share the experience and the burden together of what it means to have that role. And so it actually worked narratively, it was like quite a cathartic release to see Spider-Man have that. <laughs> oh, I'm so deep, man. Oh. Don't, don't clap for that. I've been smoking something, clearly. Similarly, in Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, great movie, it wasn't just a big flashy sci-fi movie with cool effects and some interesting ideas about the nature of reality. Um, 
after all the wrestling with saving the multiverse and seeing what could have been in their lives in other universes, some of which were really great, the story ends with a conversation between Evelyn and her daughter, Joy. And Evelyn says, maybe it's like you said, maybe there's something out there, some new discovery that will make us feel like even smaller pieces of dirt. Something that explains why you still went looking for me through all this noise and why, no matter what, I still want to be here with you. I will always, always want to be here with you. To which her daughter, Joy, replies, so what, you're just gonna ignore everything else? You could be anything, anywhere. Why not go somewhere where your daughter is more than just this? Here, all we get are a few specks of time where any of this actually makes sense. And Evelyn responds, then I will cherish these few specks of time. And I think, these stories are actually getting pretty close to what is actually revealed in the gospel. With different choices, our lives could have been different, maybe better, but that's not the point. The point is we have this reality. We have this timeline. We have these people. And while we're here, we're called to commit to them to love them, and we're here as our good shepherd has shown us, to practice self-surrender for each other. That's what church is for. To lay aside our ambition for one another. To learn to be led when we know how to lead. To lay our lives down. And we proclaim the Lord's death in communion because that's what we're here to be formed by. We are asked to be a cruciform community. So we can leave the self-authoring buzz behind and say, actually, to truly self-author is to give it up for the people around us. So I wanna leave you with a few questions uh, to think about uh, as we move into a time of reflection. So let's make room for the spirit of the crucified Jesus to speak to us. So if you wanna make yourself a little bit comfortable and close your eyes, that's totally okay. Let's ask the Spirit to speak. Where have you been pushing too hard to prove to yourself that your life is enough? Will you let Jesus speak to you that you are already His, that He's laid His life down for you as you are? not as you could or should be. Well, maybe you need to ask, where have I been using my relationships as a means to an end? Where do I need to consider others better than myself? Where have I been trying to be the center of gravity? Or where have I been actively taking the reins and going in directions I know I shouldn't? Where does Jesus need to rescue you from your wandering? And Lord, we, we come to you this morning knowing that you are completely for us, that you laid your life down for us, that you love us, and that you wanna give us rest from having to make something of ourselves 
So Lord, would your spirit of comfort uh, be with us, but would also your spirit of confrontation be here too? Would you reveal stuff, hard truths that we need to hear? Uh, would you help us to let go of control when we need to? Teach us to be led by you. Teach us that we need to be shepherded. And Lord, would you bind us together as a community, that we would learn to practice laying our lives down for one another, uh, to put each other before ourselves. And may the way that we love each other here at St. Augustine's um, show what kind of leader we do follow, Lord. Would you grow us in our cruciformity? Amen.